five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome to the Finance the Dawn podcast. It's your boy, Michael. It's been a long, long time since we've had a conversation here on this podcast, but it's awesome to finally hear from you, all of you, and see what the progress of the podcast has done. Obviously, today's podcast is not going to be anything uh, too major, too controversial, or anything that's too hard on the ears to listen to. But thank you for coming to the podcast. It's absolutely awesome that you're here. And today, we won't have a conversation about crypto, because obviously, uh, Elon Musk is already trying to sink the ship, and that's something I don't really want to speak on. There's plenty of people out there already speaking on the subject. Today, I wanted to talk about my homebound favorite team, the Dallas Mavericks, what is the initial subject of this podcast podcast and this has been an interesting playoffs to say the least last night LeBron James is no longer in the playoffs for the first time in so long I mean you could go back a couple years ago when he didn't have uh, an at strength Anthony Davis by his side you know when LeBron James had the the crew and cast Julius and crew um but that's not here nor there. But last night, um, you know, speaking on the subject, uh, well, actually, we're gonna we're gonna break it down what this podcast will totally be about. So uh, there's gonna be a couple things. I think the first thing we'll talk about is last night's games. Obviously, Denver pulling out against Portland, and then we can also talk about the Los Angeles Lakers bowing out to the Phoenix Suns in Game Six instead of trying to force it into a Game Seven. And then we'll talk about tonight's game and uh, the ramifications for the Dallas Mavericks versus the Los Angeles Clippers, the last team standing in Los Angeles as of today. So, here we go. I think speaking on the subject of looking at the Phoenix Suns taking down the Los Angeles Lakers, what we did end up seeing is a is a legacy player this is this is just my own opinion on this. We have seen a legacy player who, in my book, is a fraudulent uh, heir apparent to the legacy of Michael Jordan. You know, what really any player is chasing is those moments of perfection in the ultimate storybook and poetry that is the overarching narrative of the National Basketball Association. I think what you see with last night's game, I mean, LeBron gave up, plain and simple. And he played a hellacious game. He took a lot of errant shots. I think that, you know, he might have in some instances not gotten the foul call that he was looking for. But LeBron James, man, I don't know what it is with, with, you know, five-star athletes who think that, you know, they're the bomb, that they think that they are the heir apparent just by de facto manner. You know, he, he really thought in that third quarter uh, that, you know, he, sh- he should have been getting calls, especially in that fourth quarter. He thought he missed, you know, opportunities. The refs missed opportunities. And the, the weird thing is, like, there's not a, a, a vindictive approach to play the game of basketball. And obviously, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no National Basketball Association player. You know, I've never stepped on a court where 
I'm getting paid millions of dollars to play the game of basketball. But the one thing that irked me most last night, especially in that fourth quarter versus Phoenix, is you have, what is he now, 36, 35 years old now, LeBron James, and he just quits, seemingly quit. He's walking from one baseline to the other. You could just tell how the game itself almost dies in momentum. From the moment where LeBron feels that he doesn't get a call, that a referee doesn't make the right call, and he pouts down the court. And here's the thing. Frank Vogel is not clear of any conversation. Frank Vogel is also responsible for this loss that the Los Angeles Lakers sustained against the Phoenix Suns. He has Andre Drummond. He has Marc Gasol. He has Montrez Harrell. He has talent to put around LeBron James, you know, one of the greatest small forwards to ever play the game of basketball. And instead of putting weapons around this pass-first mentality LeBron James. Frank Vogel essentially waved the towel early. He was telling people, hey, we ain't going big. We'll play small ball. We'll, we'll do what the LA Flippers are doing to the Dallas Mavericks. We will play a game of basketball that is so dinosaur when you don't have the weapons to properly manage it. This is the one thing I always go to when speaking to people about basketball, especially basketball, you know, post 2015, the 2016 season, kind of, you know, right at the cusp end of the LeBron James era in the Miami Heat. And the San Antonio Spurs kind of bowing out of the picture as being a, a dominant force in the National Basketball Association. I think more than anything, what you see in the grander conversation is that teams are trying to play the small ball. They're trying to have a five and a four who can just stretch the paint. Who could play from three, pass out, and play defense up and down the court in transition. And what I think the problem is, and especially this is the problem for the Los Angeles Lakers last night, is that when you abandon your bigs, when you abandon a, what is a core tenant of your roster, what I feel like is that you're abandoning you know, kind of the mentality, you're abandoning the effort, you're abandoning a, a strategy that you have deployed the entire year. The Los Angeles Lakers, for sure, you know, you didn't have Anthony Davis most of the year. Andre Drummond kind of comes in out of the blue. Montrez Harrell's with you the whole year. So is Marc Gasol. And still... What you get in the end is a Lakers loss at home against Phoenix. 
And and I just I couldn't believe it, man. I really couldn't that LeBron gave up. He gave up like it was what was it, two thousand sixteen, I think, against the Warriors. Or no, it might have been two thousand seventeen if I remember correctly, because it was the or uh, yeah, I think it was two thousand seventeen when he walks off the court. Uh, they called timeout when he didn't have Kyrie or. Um, Kevin Love, and he just gives up. He's like, "Yeah, I'm done. Y'all are a great team." And that team played small ball against that Cleveland Cavaliers team. And it's crazy to me too. You, he gets so much of the benefit of the doubt as an athlete and as a player, and he has been. He's been shielded by his fan base, by those that follow LeBron. They essentially said, oh yeah, his his legacy is impenetrable. He's the he is greater than Michael Jordan ever was, ever will be. And, you know, all due respect to, you know, LeBron, but perfection speaks louder than what you showed on the court. I think what LeBron showed is like I mean, he's willing to give up. He's not willing to really be a leader. He's he's all talk, no action, like a like a politician, you know. In a lot of ways, um, LeBron James is a politician. I guess that, that is the ultimate story in the end. And uh, more power to him. You know, I can't I can't say for sure what's the future of Los Angeles. I think it's rather interesting interesting what they'll do this off season. Um, I don't know where LeBron's head at head is at. I don't know if they're going to get a major talent in Los Angeles to pair up with Anthony Davis and LeBron. I mean, I really thought with Dennis Schroeder, with Montrez Harrell, with even Andre Drummond, um, with Frank Vogel as a defensive-minded coach, um, I really thought that Los Angeles, the Lakers, would push farther in these playoffs. And I thought Phoenix was the perfect matchup for them. And in the end, it wasn't. Uh, Chris Paul finally gets the one-up on LeBron. And instead of going to Cancun, the brother gets to go to the second round of the playoffs. And they will take on the Denver Nuggets. Um, and we will, we shall see what the legacy of that series will be. But uh, Los Angeles Lakers are now eliminated from the 2021 NBA playoffs. Now, last night, there was another game. There was the Denver Nuggets in Portland, Game 6. And uh, you would think, with the world crashing down, that Portland would find a way. I really did through most of that game last night. I thought Portland themselves was going to close it out. That Damian Lillard was going to have another chance at greatness. And truth be told, I don't, I don't know if, if he really did. I think that more than likely, uh, that series was just going to come down to who had more will than the other to win. And in the end, it was Denver. Um, Denver got a lot of help. You know, obviously without a star player, I think Denver is just their 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 whole focus in these playoffs is to stay together, be a camaraderie. 
um, play your best effort. I think Mike Malone deserves a lot of that that praise for how well he has coached this team, and really only having um, who you know in most people's cases is the MVP this year, Nikola Jokic. And I think Nikola Jokic has has proven in a lot of ways that he is the MVP of these playoffs. Um, he's been absolutely sensational. You know, he's hitting incredibly impactful shots. He's making the the playmaking that is needed for this team to survive. And they they arguably beat a team that is way more talented and has way more talent than they did in the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, you have Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Norman Powell. You have Robert Covington. You have Yusuf Nurkic. You have uh, Carmelo Anthony. You have, you know, so many other what I consider, you know, t- top-tier talents. Uh, Anthony Simmons. You know, you've got quality players in Portland, and I just don't know how Terry Stotts didn't have the pieces. To beat Denver. I mean Denver was not going to give you any sort of perimeter penetration. Besides maybe Michael Porter Jr. Besides maybe Nikola Jokic. I mean Aaron Gordon seemingly in this series could not get any penetration against Portland's interior. The only one that could, and it's just because he's a very good worm player in the paint, is Jokic, the Joker. He was the only one that had any way of getting in the paint against Portland. But the interesting thing was, is that Denver played persistence. And I think Michael Porter Jr. has played a pivotal role in this series. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal. I think Frank Compazio, uh, he's he obviously uh, has contributed almost in a J.J. Perea role for Denver. You look at what Monte Norris has done, or Monte Morris has done for uh, Denver. He played sensational last night, hitting tough shot after tough shot to really, really seal the deal on on Portland. And I think in the end, what you get is a Portland team that I, I just I just don't fundamentally believe they had enough interior presence to just stop Nikola Jokic. Um, Yusuf Nurkic could definitely not stop him from the perimeter. And I just think Joker, what separated him in the MVP conversation, especially from Joel Embiid, is that Joel Embiid was not a playmaker. He's he's a, a phenomenal scorer. He's a, he's a defensive interior player. Um, he's got some perimeter skills. I think Joker doesn't really have a defensive game, but he's he's so crafty. He's so you know elusive with his hand movements that he's his ability to disrupt the flow of the basketball game. You know separates him from the pack, and it's just his ability to stretch the floor, to find passing lanes, to play off 
ball, even with his small combo guards, that he essentially was unguardable. No one was pressuring Denver's offense into any situation. And when he has Michael Porter Jr. running up and down the court, you know, playing in the transition game, getting three balls, getting getting really good shots in the peri- in the perimeter transition game. I mean, it was it was it was money. You know, it was done for Portland. I mean, Portland Portland could get shots. They had opportunities. I think that they definitely didn't play up to their own par. I think Damian Lillard, especially last night, it seems that he was being very passive. Um, to the overall construction of the game. I just think Damian has suffered from, you know, he hasn't had a consistent supporting cast. I think that the the ultimate what if for this team has always been, you know, what if LaMarcus Aldridge stays healthy and stays in, in Portland? What could have happened, you know? You know, all due respect to Yusuf Nurkic, he is no prime LaMarcus Aldridge because prime LaMarcus Aldridge was a lob threat and he was a perimeter scorer and he gave the work to legends like Kevin Garnett and Dirk Nowitzki that was the legacy of LaMarcus Aldridge and maybe just maybe if Damian Lillard hits his prime right him and LaMarcus you know could have done great things in the playoffs and maybe CJ McCollum never comes. Maybe maybe Carmelo Anthony never ends up in Portland. Maybe Norman Powell is never there. Maybe they never get, you know, a lot of the pieces that they end up putting around Damian Lillard. Maybe. But I think more than anything, Damian Lillard was robbed of of a real opportunity to go get it. And I, I don't know if that's on Terry Stotts. I don't know if that's on an assistant coach. I don't know if that's anything in Damian Lillard's head. But I find it so interesting that in losses in the playoffs, he scores substantially greater. But in wins, Damian Lillard, you know, kind of kind of became a playmaking guard. He became a sharp shooting facilitator in the same way that Luka Doncic is. You know, he's not a rebounder. He's a scorer. He's a playmaker. He's a facilitator in a lot of different aspects. But but the weird thing is, is that Damian Lillard was unwilling almost, and I don't know if this was just part of the game plan, to create any penetration on Denver's defense. Because Denver doesn't have a defense, you know? I found it so weird that Denver was unwilling in a lot of stretches of that game to go for the mismatch that was Michael Porter Jr. versus Damian Lillard in the corner for a lot of that game. It's why I ended up turning off the game, actually, uh, because I just wasn't interested in the game. I really thought, you know, more than anything, that Portland was maybe going to close it out. It was going to... You know, go to a game seven and maybe we'll see from there. My prediction for that series was Portland was going to find a way. I really did. I thought Portland was going to find a way. I did not think that they had anybody that could guard uh, the perimeter, especially the combo guard play of Portland. And I think Terry Stotts lived and died by that mentality. And, you know, in the end... It spells well for Denver. Denver's going to be taking on 
uh, the Phoenix Suns. It's going to be an extremely exciting series. I, I definitely think that Devin Booker is going to be a huge X factor. I think Chris Paul will too. But uh, in the end, I don't know what the series will turn out to be. I think Michael Porter Jr. is a huge factor in this series. I don't think Jay Crowder could guard him. I also don't think Jay Crowder can guard a lot of players in the league. Uh, he's a he's more of a pretender than he is a uh, a physical asset. But and if anything, he's a, he's a physical player. I will give him that. You know, he's a he's a body to body player. He's not someone that's gonna slack off on defense. He's definitely gonna give you an effort. But I don't think that he's He's some, you know, Kawhi Leonard in his prime sort of thing. But yes, in the end, I, I do I do believe that Portland evidently bowed out. I don't know what their future is going to look like in this offseason. I definitely think that, you know, for Damian Lillard's sake, um, he's either got to look for a change of scenery or really ask that they blow it up in favor of finding him one new piece. Um... I think you should keep Carlo Carmelo under contract. You know, I don't... I think Joseph Nurkic, maybe you have to trade. Same thing with CJ, maybe, to get one good quality player, maybe pieces. Um, I, I, I don't know what Portland's going to do. I, I mean, in the same instance of the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, you looking at their cap space, looking at their... Where they even fit, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't see where they go. I don't think that they have bright futures uh, for the next couple of years. I mean, that's unfortunate. You know, they they had their chances, and they blew it. You know, this was their this was their playoffs, and they blew it. Especially Portland, and I, I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be the same way for the Lakers. So that's what takes us or segues us into the next kind of 10-minute sequence. I try to keep my sequences now uh, kind of between 10 and 11 minutes, kind of kind of not only pace myself, but, you know, to give y'all kind of more of a, a bright line for what I'm talking about here. And and, and really, it's it, it's game six tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Dallas is, is, is in a driver's seat now. Um, but I think that the difference now for Dallas between what was the difference in games three and four is I think that they recognize now how much pressure they are under to win. And I think, uh, you know, two, what was it, just the other day, um, they were under tremendous pressure to beat them on their court in front of their crowd. And I think that Clippers, the, the Clippers fans were up in arms. They were ready. They, they wanted that win. And I think that, you know, in the end, uh, the Clippers made a lot of critical mistakes down the stretch uh, in Game 5. And I think that, you know, they, they got substantially good play from some players. I think Kawhi Leonard um, is ineffective in the trap. Um, whenever he gets trapped, it, he's not a good facilitator. I just don't think that he is so used to the moment of having to deal with those sort of transition games. And it becomes a factor where um, people can and will be affected um, by those sort of defensive schemes. And I think for Kawhi Leonard's sake, you know, he was affected. I think that, you know, Ty Lue, um, you know, 
bless that man's integrity. You know, he he sent and helped Cleveland get to the finals. You know, and he's he's been a, a massive factor in this Clippers team's success. But I, I also just don't think Ty Lue is a leader. I don't think that he's a motivator. I don't think that he has has the intangibles to be that guy in the locker room that everybody can listen to. I think that what happens and what's, what I think people have seen with this Clippers team, in a lot of ways it's kind of a mirroring of the Lakers, is that this Clippers team, their identity has been about these defensive two-way players that could get three shots, that could play defense in the end. And what's interesting is that they aren't really living and dying by the three. They're living and dying by their decisions. And it's interesting because I think Paul George has played a tremendous series. I think Kawhi Leonard has also played a tremendous series. I mean, he's, he, he literally has been a monster in the mid-range. And I, I just, I, I look at the Clippers and I just think to myself, you know, how can you create any identity with this team so much so that they could be a championship contender? When Tyler was coaching, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers, it, it was a little bit different in the sense that, you know, he, he had... All of these egocentric players. And, you know, really the egos carried that those Cleveland teams. And I look at this Clippers squad. And their ego is not something you find in Paul George. It's not something you find in Kawhi Leonard. It's really what you find in guys like Marcus Morris. You find it in guys like Patrick Beverly, and you find it in guys like Rajon Rondo. Those are the egos of the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, Marcus Morris, he's been effective, but he ain't stopping Luka. He ain't stopping nobody. If anything, Marcus Morris is now a liability on the defensive end. Patrick Beverly ain't even playing anymore. And he was touted as a high-effort defensive point guard. And now he is known as a high-effort bench player. And I think that, you know, you, you look at Rajon Rondo, I think he is, he is trying so much to win it for this team. But Rajon, man... Rondo is not the player that he was with Boston even as late as 2010. Rondo is not the guy that he was with the Lakers. He cannot create for this team because this team does not want to create for itself. I feel bad for Clippers fans. Because I, I genuinely think these last two years, you know, you have to look at it from a fan perspective. They have had so much potential and talent. They have had 
so much potential in their play that walking into these playoffs, you could absolutely argue they were the hottest team entering the playoffs. Take out their last two games where they supposedly quote-unquote tanked, and they are the hottest team in basketball. I mean, they were shooting the ball so well. They were playing on such an effort. You know, they beat really good teams this year. All because they shot the ball well. They played extremely well from the perimeter. They gave all-out effort. And they didn't let their egos get the best of them. And I really think... In game five, the Clippers' emotions poured over. They had no answer for Luka Doncic. They haven't had one. The only thing that has slowed down Luka is himself. And really, maybe you can even argue the play around him. But in the end, I mean, the, the Clippers have had no answers. They've pretended to have them. And now I think that what you really see is this squad has folded under the immense pressure that they're not going to be able to make a decision. They're not going to be able to make a play. They're not going to be able to get you the impacts in order to fundamentally give them a chance to win. I'm saying it now that tonight tonight the Clippers are done. I think game five really solidified that they have no chemistry as a team to win. I think Rajard Rondo came into the Clippers thinking, you know, I'm a leader. I've been here before. I know what it takes to win a championship. I'm a playmaker. How can I not playmake for two incredible perimeter players? For a team that knows that, you know, you got to get three-point shots in order to really impact the, the flow of the game. And I really, I feel bad for Rajon, man. He He wanted it. And last night, I think, you know, or not last night, but in game five, I mean, everybody saw Rajah Rondo, you know, looking at Kawhi Leonard, you know, like, really, you took that shot? You took that shot to tie the game? And it's 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 sad for that team, you know? I mean, Steve Ballmer's going to have to make a decision, man. I mean, you're going to have to either move the team or something. Because with the loss tonight, I don't think Kawhi Leonard returns. I think Paul George questions if if he wants this as a long-term deal. Because he doesn't want to do it alone. He wants to go somewhere where he's got somebody who's going to help him win. That's what he told y'all. Kawhi Leonard also told y'all that. And I think that they are just as willing to break up the band as they are willing to try and keep it together. 
But I think that they are more willing to break it up than they are to keep it together. And that's that absolutely spells doom for the Clippers. It spells doom for their effort and play to win the game. But I, I really think, if anything, uh, and this really is on to my last segment, all of this in, in quote, all of this said about the Clippers, this can absolutely take nothing away from the almost transformation the 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 renaissance of a movement that Luka Doncic has produced onto the gravitational waves that is the National Basketball Association the ultimate poetics is about the National Basketball Association it's what LeBron LeBron in 2003 comes into the league and essentially is by all accounts to the national media the heir apparent to the Michael Jordan era. And four years later, he signals to the rest of the league, like, hey, I'm here. I can carry a team to the finals. I can go into the biggest pressure situations and get it. And now this league is different. 13 years later, or really 14 years later now, I mean, it's different. This league is radically different from what it was in 2007. I mean, the the biggest single force between LeBron and the finals was maybe at that time, maybe you could argue it is the Detroit Pistons. But that team was not in any way together as a unit anymore. I mean, they were older. They weren't the team that beat the Lakers. And now, you you know, you zoom to 2011. I think the one thing that's happening right now, and it, it's the one thing that I always say, is that stories themselves are not necessarily rewritten. They are retold. They are given a new light. They're given a new, new coat of paint, a new texture. And it's what makes it interesting, a new, a new fashion within the very confines of what is the game of basketball. And I think Luca is very close, yes, to James Harden in his playability. He's very close, yes, to the visionary and playmaking of LeBron James. He is as physically imposing. He has a Kobe-esque mentality. He has a Michael Jordan demeanor. But I think what is so different now, here in 2021, with Luka Doncic, is that he is setting up a mammoth run that can catapult him from being in the conversation as a top five player to being the face of the league. With a win tonight, I think it becomes ever more possible that the national conversation is going to repeat itself 10 years later that a super team formed in the East 
in their first season, they'll reach the NBA Finals, and then they will run into a team that is more hungry to prove itself that they could do it. And I think the Dallas Mavericks have nothing to lose. I think Luka Doncic is playing like a player who has nothing to lose. He's playing on a otherworldly level that his gravity is it's it's totally eclipsing everything Dirk ever did. It's totally eclipsing the Maverick legacy. I mean, Dirk went into the 2011 Finals as the overwhelming underdog with a group of players who many of them were past their prime, who who were former All-Stars, who were huge pieces to teams in their past, who came to Dirk's team and said, we have the weapons, let's go get it, let's go win this series. And they did it against a Miami Heat team that was young, prepared, motivated, but simply just didn't have the guts to go win it. And here's my theory. And this is my theory overall of what could happen in a couple weeks as we move deeper into these playoffs. Obviously, with the Mavs win tonight, they move on against Utah. I don't think Utah has a soul that they can put in front of Luka Doncic. I think that they have players, obviously, that are different in terms of stature. But it's it's a question of can Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, can those four, along with Mike Conley, go get it? And I don't think that there's anything that can suggest that they can. (laughs) I think that Jordan Clarkson more than likely does get that sort of apparel and and appeal. But I think that even as they move closer into this production, what we will see is that Utah is a pretender of itself. I think Rudy Gobert gets exposed in a series against Dallas. And I, I think that he's probably the defensive player of the year this year. Again. <laughs> I think, you know, KP has been so affected by this, this Clippers team that I really do believe that they will finally get to run their Kristaps Porzingis and Dwight Powell play. I think whoever they hit in the conference finals is more than likely going to be Phoenix. And Phoenix, you know, they are going to face the very same problems that I think Utah would face against the Dallas squad. And I just don't think that they have a single soul that can guard Luka. And I think that the difference is ladies and gentlemen, is that the Clippers believed, that's a key word, believed that they had the talent, that they had really, also they had the bodies 
to put in front of who is the premier greatest player to ever don a jersey in the National Basketball Association. They had it. And they still failed to do it. I think tonight that they won't they won't be able to answer that call. And who knows, we, we might get a repeat of 2011. A, a three-headed monster that was created through free agency and in a lot of ways manipulation of a market. By players who were manipulating their power within said market. Versus a team that is led by an athlete who is ultra-competitive and ultra-conscious of his impact on the court. And at the same time, he's the leader of a team that is so confident in its ability, but also so hungry in its determination to prove itself. And in the end... I don't know what the outcome of tonight's game will be. I have assumptions. I have theories. But thank you for listening to the Finance the Dawn podcast. It is always fun of me to speak on the National Basketball Association. And especially this time of the year with the NBA playoffs. It's been exciting so far. You know, obviously I didn't talk about the East. Um, I might do that after this series. uh, Depending on not or not whether... Uh, the Dallas Mavericks have any sort of inclination to the series. But I just want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. And please, in any way, if you can, contribute, you know, retweet, like, share the podcast. We are on many platforms of the Anchor Network. Uh, and thank you for listening to the Finance the Dawn podcast.